0: Pokemon Elite 4s have been around for a while, for better or for worse. They're a flagship part of the series, serving as the playable character's main goal. I mean, in the canon of these games, taking down the Pokemon League is seen as more impressive than saving the world from natural disasters and ancient godlike beings. So yeah, these fights are important, and for so much of the series, they've adhered pretty closely to that history. But, like anything, you can only give the same experience so many times before it starts to go stale. And that was arguably the situation for the Pokémon games in the latter part of their two-decade history. And with as many sequels and remakes as this series has, that inevitable fate shows up a lot sooner. However, as recent Pokémon games have shown, there's plenty of new ground to cover in this area. So today, let's talk about how the generation 7 Pokemon games make the Elite Four interesting again through their use of pre- and post-game world building. Kicking off, I think we should touch on the roots of the Pokemon League's role within the series history. After all, it couldn't have felt very repetitive when the concept was first introduced. Sure, the idea started off a little simple in that first Kanto League run with Bruno, Agatha, and Lance all using multiple versions of the same Pokemon. But there were some neat points of challenge, like the bombardment of Hyperbeams when you reach the Dragon Trainer. But of course, the crown moment of the Generation 1 League has to be the surprise face-off with your rival, who we'll just call Blue for our purposes today. This introduced a break in type specialty that was refreshing for a League fight, and makes the whole game end on an iconic note. Past that, Generation 2 with the Gold, Silver, and Crystal games swished up the experience with the new Indigo League roster. Now with Lorelei and Agatha out of the picture, Newcomers Will and Karen, as well as the former poison gym leader of Koga from the first few games, made for solid new additions to the Elite Four. And while Lance's new spot as the champion is neat to see, I don't personally think it hits the same impact that we had with Blue. From there, the concept hops into the 21st century with Generation 3. And here, the championship bout with Steven Stone really stands out. With ties to both the Devon Corporation and your earlier quest, this sequence has a satisfying bit of build-up beforehand. And with his stacked Metagross, he's a much more diverse fighter than his steel specialty would lead you to believe. Now, with all of that said, the Elite Four really reaches its high praise at Generation Four. For starters, the battle locations gain a much more apparent theming in Platinum, making them feel distinct and separate as opposed to the previous way of little more than just differently colored rooms. Generation 3 tried that, but they were kept shadowed in the lower parts of the floor, not really as visible as it is here. Type specialty breaks a lot more frequently here as well, with Eren's Poison and Dark Drapion splitting off from his bug typing. And Flint goes even further with his team, with his Steelix, Lopunny, and Drifblim all breaking the Fire-type convention. One of the reasons I think that's a good change of pace is that seeing these famously difficult trainers, at least in universe, use a broader set of Pokemon makes sense. Type diversity is the best strategy for the games, and nowhere is that more apparent than in Cynthia. With such a varied team, she's a notably difficult champion, especially after resolving Stark Mountain in Pokemon Platinum. Her Garchomp, in particular, can put up a well-powered fight, with physical moves like Giga Impact to lay on damage. Partner this with the fact that she's already a familiar character, giving the player HM cut and even helping to thwart Team Galactic's plans in the Distortion World, and this final championship match rounds off a greatly composed Elite Four. So with Generation Four giving us such a solid culmination of what had worked in previous Elite Fours it would seem that the idea should only trend to get better. However, here's where I would argue that the idea of a Pokemon League stagnated. Don't get me wrong, I actually think there are some really nifty things that Generation 5 and 6 do with their Elite Four setup. For one, the visual flair here gets cranked up like crazy with the themes for each different member doing a great job at evoking their different type. Take a look at Caitlyn's Elite Four chamber and the lead-up before you fight her, and it's immediately apparent how much detail went into showing their stories in the rooms that you fight them in. Moreover, this marks a point where the Elite Four abandons the long series history of simplistic, straightforward paths. Instead, for the idea of challenging the different trainers in the order that you choose. This adds a new level of strategy to the whole experience as you choose where to ration out certain Pokemon so you can make your way through. And while those are great, there are certain other notes spread throughout these sequences that make them feel like weaker versions of what we've seen before. To start, the drop from five Pokemon teams down to four feels like a step in the wrong direction. When these characters are supposed to represent some of the best in the nation, they should use more than 66% of their total slots. It's a change that gives the player even more of an advantage, and makes the fights with the League members of Unova and Kalos feel less impactful. Another thing worth noting here is that the champions seem to take a dip in importance from what we've seen before. Take Alder, for example, who we don't even have the chance to face in the first run through the main storyline, as N beat him before we even have the chance to fight. It's a unique change, I'll give it that, but also takes away some of the prestige of actually beating him. As the game tells you, hey, it didn't matter the first time. Diantha's a weird champion as well, especially when taken into consideration with others of the series. Cynthia herself helps us to take down the galactic threat of Cyrus in the distortion world. We meet Diantha in a cafe, but in all seriousness, it is cool to see her using Mega Evolution with Gardevoir but that's more of an achievement of the feature than it is in her battle. When put together, at least in my opinion, these Elite Four matches feel fine for the sake of having them in the game, but that's just it. They feel like they're just included just because the Elite Four is a staple part of the franchise. They have to have it. Because of this, I think twists like Iris going from gym leader to champion and Malva ditching Team Flair for her slot feel less compelling than when we saw shades of the same idea in earlier games. It seems like this was where the franchise settled to retread old ground, which means the same pitfalls over and over again. Although the past two generations seemingly plateaued the progression from the rest of the series, Generation 7's start with Sun and Moon kicked off a comeback for a lot of innovation in the series. In the case of the Alola region, The Elite Four isn't some established group of trainers that you set out the sole purpose of defeating, but rather a new project taken on by the region's Professor Kukui instead. Out of the gate, this gives way to a lot of interesting changes to the established formula. With the majority of the members already appearing as trial captains and kahunas before, we're familiar with them and have a history when we battle. This serves a gratifying bookend to show how far not only the player has come in their journey, but also their impact on the region. In addition, the idea of battling the local professor before you can become champion is a great finalizing note, showing how you progress over every challenge the game presents you with. But these games don't just stop with the rematches at the Elite Four, because we also get the new addition of title defense upon rematches through the League. As champion, now you're tasked with fighting various challengers from a random selection, each with a different specialty and typing to their team. This keeps you on your toes and freshens up a bit of the staleness that can come from rematching the league on repeat. And while these patterns might have seemed like a fun one-off only intended for this region, we can actually see some of the influence in Generation 7's other Pokemon games. Let's go Pikachu and Eevee. Despite following very closely to what was laid out before in Generation 1, there do exist some nice switch-ups here and there that build upon the past. For example, on your way to the rock tunnel in the main story, you're outnumbered by a group of Team Rocket thugs. As you strap in for a couple of tedious bouts, you're instead saved by none other than Elite Four member Lorelai herself. While this might seem like a simple cutscene, it gives a fun bit of character development to her role, which I'll say is very appreciated, since in the past, her job was just confined to four walls in Indigo Plateau. But past just that bit of world building, we gain a fantastic feature after taking the role as Pokemon League Champ. With our new position, we can go back and take on the gym leaders in rematches. In the same vein as seeing the different familiar faces from Alola back in the Elite Four and title defense, these daily rematches with the gym leaders give a proper conclusion to how our new title impacts the state of the league as a whole. Chuck in some fun flavor text as they acknowledge your new spot as champion, and it goes to show just how impactful these little changes to the familiar can really be in making an experience feel new again. And honestly, I think that's the direction the Pokemon Elite Four needs to go. And if these two games are any indication for the future, then I'm definitely excited for the next generations to come.